If you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 uh, this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Can you imagine seeing the Lord, beholding the Lord, being with him forever? Have you ever had a moment that's so good that you just don't want it to stop? This moment is phenomenal. If I could just keep this moment going, we're going to behold the Lord, we're going to see the Lord, and we're going to forever be with the Lord. It's this hope that kept Job going. In the midst of trial and difficulty, he writes this in Job 19, verse 25, says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. This is amazing to me because as Job, as an Old Testament believer, he understood that Christ is going to stand on the earth, that Christ is going to rule and reign. He also understood that he's going to behold the Lord, that he's going to see the Lord. And that's what his heart yearned for. That's what his heart longed for was to to see the Lord. But also he believed that his body was going to be resurrected. Not just that he was going to see the Lord, but in this body, I'm going to to see the Lord. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to pass away, but that God would resurrect him, and with these eyes, he would behold the Lord. It's been quite a year and a half, two years, hasn't it? And there are things in Scripture that are yet unfulfilled, prophecies that are yet unfulfilled. That's what we're going to study this morning, the promise of the rapture of the church, the the promise of the second coming of Jesus. There are signs leading up to the second coming of Jesus. Just like if you're driving to a city and the closer you get to the city, the more signs that you see for that particular city. The closer we get to the second coming of Christ, the more signs that we're going to see. I think in this last two years, these signs have really begun to increase. As believers, as students of the scripture, we know how the Bible ends. We we know how all things end, don't we? It ends with this exclamation point of Christ returning and Christ ruling and he's reigning. There's no question about that. Some things that stand out to me from current events is we have moved much closer to a cashless society. You're saying, well, how does that tie into the second coming of Christ? In the book of Revelation, we see the mark of the beast, that those who receive it, if you don't receive it, you won't be able to buy or sell in any way. All economy is going to go through this mark that is given to you, that's placed on your forehead or on your wrist. How many times have you walked into a store where there's a sign on the door now that says, we don't accept cash, right? This pandemic has moved us closer to a cashless society. The Antichrist is going to come with peace and safety. How is the world going to embrace one leader? Because he's going to have a solution of peace and safety. And a Christ-rejecting world says, we don't care that he rejects Christ. We don't care what he stands for. He'll give us peace and safety. It's been amazing to see what people 
will give for peace and safety. Out of fear, okay, I, I want peace and safety and embrace the, the Antichrist. There continues to be earthquakes at greater and greater rapidity. If, if you study the history of earthquakes, we know they're happening more and more. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said these are going to be signs leading up to the end. There will be more earthquakes. There's going to be famines and pestilence. We're seeing that with these health crises that are taking place. Also another sign in Matthew chapter 24 is that nation will rise against nation. That's ethnic group against ethnic group. That's racial tension, racial division, prejudice. That seems to be going up, doesn't it? Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be going away. I hope it does through the power of the gospel in a way that's genuine, but there seems to be more and more hatred that is taking place nation rising up against nation, kingdom rising up against kingdom. We're also still living in a very current fulfilled prophecy in Israel becoming a nation. Israel became a nation in May 1948. Believers studying the scriptures prior to that are going, there has to be a fulfilled promise that Israel will have the land once again. And we live in that promise already being fulfilled. If you're a student of prophecy, keep your eye on Israel. Because that's where Christ is going to return. He's going to return upon the Mount of Olives. As we talk about these things, for some, it fills our hearts with fear. It fills our hearts with trepidation of these end times and these difficult things that, that may happen. But remember, as we're going to read in the scriptures... We're to be comforted because Christ is returning. And we're going to forever be with the Lord. And so that's the focus for us uh, this morning. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Don't want you to be ignorant or unaware of those who have fallen asleep. Paul, in his writings, there's four times that he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. And the first is God's plan for Israel in Romans chapter 11. God has a plan for Israel. He hasn't rejected the nation of Israel. The second is spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Then don't be ignorant of Satan's devices or his tactics in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And the fourth is here that we wouldn't be ignorant of those who have passed away in Christ. All four of these areas tend to be issues that we're ignorant in. We're, we're ignorant of God's plans for Israel. We're ignorant of spiritual gifts. How much confusion is there on spiritual gifts? We're naive to Satan's uh, tactics. And we're naive to the second coming of Christ and God's plan for those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Now, now what about this phrase, falling asleep? Like, what exactly does that, that mean? It means that someone who has died. It's the scripture's way of, of saying someone who has died who was in Christ. That they've fallen asleep in the, the sense that their spirit, their soul has gone home to be with the Lord, but they're waiting to receive their glorified body until the rapture of the church, until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this causes us a lot of confusion. It causes us a, a lot of consternation. So, so does this mean that they're in some kind of weird soul sleep until the rapture? 
Not at all, because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As soon as a believer passes away, their spirit goes home to be with the Lord. They're, they are with the Lord. They're not in some kind of strange a soul sleep. Also, keep in mind that time is different in heaven. Peter writes and says, a thousand years to us is like a day unto the Lord. That's an illustration. It's not a mathematical uh, equation. But what if it was? Let's say that that's exactly how time was in heaven. You go home to be with the Lord. Your spirit goes home to be with the Lord. And it's 2,000 more years until the rapture of the church. You're waiting two days for your glorified body. I think heaven has a whole different way of dealing with time because it's forever. So it may be much more like an eternal now that these events are, are happening all at once and, and we're enjoying eternity uh, together. But we know for sure that eternity is different. The exhortation in verse 13 is that we wouldn't be like those who have no hope in their sorrow. Please first understand, there is sorrow in the loss of loved ones. If someone has told you, a well-intending believer, that you should not be sad about a family member who's in Christ who's passed away, that's just hogwash. It never says that you're not gonna have sorrow, right? We know they're with the Lord. We're happy for them that they're with the Lord, but we miss them in this life. Jesus understands that. When he came to his friend's grave, Lazarus, what did he do? He wept. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's very powerful. Why did he weep? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a, a few moments. He was sympathizing with the grief, the sorrow that Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, were, were going through, and he too felt that sorrow. We are to have sorrow for our loved ones. I'm sure some of you this morning, you have buried a child. That's the most difficult type of pain in this life, and there's going to be sorrow with that until you go home to be with the Lord. Some of you have buried your spouse unexpectedly, prematurely. Some of you, after 50 years of marriage, you're going to miss your spouse till you go home to, to be with the Lord. There's something about losing a parent, isn't there? Even though it, it's expected and it's the natural course of things, we're supposed to bury our parents, there, there's a loss there. A close friend, someone who's walked alongside of you. So we do have sorrow, but for those who are in Christ, those loved ones who are in Christ, we have hope in the midst of our sorrow because we know that we're going to forever be with the Lord. We know that their bodies are going to be resurrected to a glorified body. We're going to be surrounded God's throne for all of eternity. Maybe you're missing those conversations with a loved one. If they're in Christ and you're in Christ, you're going to have all eternity to enjoy together. So the question for us is, is hope present in my sorrow? In the midst of my sorrow, is there hope that is present? Verse 14, now if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, God will bring with him those who are asleep in Jesus. It's connected with the gospel. It's not separate from the gospel. Jesus died. He rose again for our sins. He ascended to be with the Father. And he promised that he is going to return. And when he returns, the dead in Christ are going to rise and receive their glorified bodies. This is this body resurrected. This body dies, it perishes, is buried, is is cremated. God in his power, as he returns, is able to resurrect this body into a glorified version that never knew sin. Jesus' body that was crucified, it was that body that was raised from the dead. So this brings up a lot of questions. It's a question that I get a lot. Is cremation okay for believers and if someone is cremated is God still able to raise them up at his return and I let them know that they're out of luck if they're they're cremated I mean (laughs) Uh, of course not God's able if someone is cremated to be able to raise them up into everlasting life the process is the same if you're buried and you're decomposed your body rots away or if you're cremated it speeds up that that process so that's a personal decision that's a personal conviction that that you you would make but it doesn't limit God's ability doesn't this show God's power in such an amazing way to be able to raise the dead unto everlasting life and to raise up the body that had been destroyed and decayed through sin, the sin that I've committed towards others and others have committed towards me, the fallen world that we live in, it'd be amazing if God just gave us another body. Said, okay, you're done with that body. That was your earthly body. Now I've got this heavenly body that is prepared for you. But to me, it's a real picture of the gospel. Here, sin has destroyed our bodies, but the redemption of what Jesus has done, he's even able to to glorify this physical body to where we're raised up and we're gonna see the Lord. Wow, that that is awesome. And that is is powerful and that's encouraging for us. So as you have buried that loved one, and there's that tough moment that this is the, the final goodbye, is that didn't have the last word. It's not a final goodbye. It's a, it's a see you soon. God's going to raise up that child who is in Christ. Raise up that spouse who is in Christ. Raise up that family member, that, that close friend in Christ. I know all of us this morning have people that we're really excited to see around the throne room of God. We're first really pumped to see Jesus, absolutely, bar none. But then also to be able to enjoy eternity with some of our loved ones who've gone before us. In verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So we who are alive and remain at the rapture of the church, we're not going to precede or or prevent those who are dead in Christ from rising. They'll go first and then we will be caught up to be with the Lord. Notice the word we, we who are alive Paul believed that it was a possibility that the rapture of the church could happen in his lifetime. 
Paul would write that time is short. Paul also writes and says, let your gentleness be known to all because Christ is at hand. Paul lived his life with the imminent return of Christ in mind. In verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Christ is seated on the throne with the Father, at the right hand of the Father, and at this moment, he, he descends, and he descends with a shout in the clouds, with the voice of the archangel, with the, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ rise first. This trumpet is going to be heard throughout the world. There's going to be no way that CNN is going to be able to explain away this event. Imagine the graves of the world opened up. And we've got an old cemetery on the west side of town by, by Red Rocks. Imagine if you're living in that neighborhood and the graves, someone's been cremated and spread in the backyard because that's where they wanted to be. It happens, right? And all of a sudden, there, there they go. Right? And this is happening all over the world. You have these mass graves from horrific events like the Holocaust, and you're seeing just graves opened, and people are resurrected in their glorified bodies. Although they won't be able to explain it away, it'll be amazing to see what the media tries to come up with, right? To explain this event. And that's only half of it because we see verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Could be in our lifetime, could be in our generation, that we're caught up to, to be with the Lord, that we witness the graves being opened and then in a twinkling of an eye, that the Lord takes us to, to be with him. They go first, but we catch up in the air and we meet the Lord in the air and then we're forever with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This word caught up in the Latin version of the Bible, the Latin word is raptuso, which we get the English word rapture. There's some that like to say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. And they're correct, it's not in the English Bible, but it is in the Latin Bible. And the word rapture simply means to be caught up. So if you wanna sound really smart when they tell you that, we'll say, well, it's in the Latin Bible. And they're like, whoa, the Latin Bible, right? But the truth is there. The, the truth of the rapture is there. We're going to be caught up. We're going to be taken up to be with the Lord. And the comfort is we shall always be with the Lord. We're never going to be separated from the Lord. We're going to enjoy him for all of eternity and all that the Lord has planned for us with our loved ones who are in Christ. And that's a tremendous comfort to us. In John 14, verse 3, it says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This life is great, 
And this life is, is wonderful. It's not that this life is, is bad. It's that eternal life is even better. We see God speaking things into existence in Genesis in six days he created this world. Imagine the place that he's prepared for us in heaven and him receiving us to himself. He's either gonna receive us in one or two ways. He's gonna receive us through our own death where we go home to be with the Lord or he's going to receive us in the rapture. Enoch, it's told us in the Old Testament that he walked with God and he was not. God literally took him home to be with the Lord without him dying, without him passing away. It's been said that Enoch walked so close with God that he was closer to God's house than his own house. And so God said, hey, Enoch, why don't you just come on home? That's what's going to happen at some day for these group of believers who are alive at this moment where Christ chooses to rapture the church, where he chooses to return in this way. Wouldn't it be great if it was in our lifetime to not face death, to to not have to go through death, to be able to go home to be with the Lord together at the same time with our loved ones. So here's the application of this truth of the return of Jesus Christ, the rapture of believers. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's to be a comfort to us. The second coming of Christ should, should encourage us. And we should encourage one another with the coming of of Christ. As believers mourn over the loss of loved ones that we come alongside of them and we weep with them. We weep with those who weep. We provide a, a listening ear. And in that right moment to encourage them, hey, death didn't have the final word. We're gonna forever be with the Lord, surrounded together in eternity. Here's the big question of our text this morning. When it comes to the rapture of the church, is it gonna be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? And some of you are saying, I don't know what you're talking about. So the tribulation is a seven-year period described in the book of Revelation. It's also called the wrath of the Lamb. So is God going to rapture the church before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or the end of the tribulation. And there's also a a fourth position. There's pre, mid, and post, and then there's the pan trip. And that's however it pans out. There's there's some that are just like, I'm taking the pan tribulation rapture view. Now there's a lot of believers that believe different things on the timing of the rapture that are solid in the gospel, that love the Lord, One of the things that I see happening in the midst of this discussion, I do think it's something that we're to study and try to form an opinion on, is we do miss the point. We do miss the point. No matter what position you take, we all believe the same thing at the end, and that's that Jesus is coming. And we are to be encouraged by that. And sometimes we get so caught up in this conversation and discussion and when exactly pre, mid, post that we end more frustrated than encouraged. (laughs) And so we wanna be in that place of of encouragement that Christ is gonna come and, and rule and reign. And I hope all of the challenges of the last couple years that we've seen in our country and throughout the world, it causes our hearts to long for the second coming of Jesus. It causes us to go, man, I can't wait for Jesus to come and rule and reign. Can you imagine Jesus being in charge? 
during that millennial kingdom, that thousand-year reign. I do believe in a pre-trib rapture view. Um, I want to give a few reasons why, not all of the, the reasons why. If you don't share this view, we can still be friends and go to lunch, okay? But the first reason that I hold to this pre-tribulation rapture view is, is the nature of the rapture is to be a comfort. That's, that's what Paul is writing here, comfort one another with these words. How comforting is it to you that you're going to go through the wrath of the Lamb? that you're going to go through uh, the, the tribulation. It doesn't seem to, to bring comfort. To me, the, the most important one that points to pre-tribulation rapture view is Jesus taught of his imminent return. He taught of his imminent return. What that means is Jesus wants us looking for his return at any possible moment. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 24, and let's look at verse 36. It's very clear that Jesus wants us watching and being ready for his second coming. This is Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So if anyone tries to tell you, I know the day and the hour that Jesus is going to return, they're an absolute heretic. Because the Bible says, nobody knows the day, nobody knows the, the hour, the Father alone knows this. But as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. And so also will be the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore... For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. If you knew you were going to get burglarized at 2.22 in the morning, you would be ready. Lock, stock, and barrel, Right? You wouldn't allow them to just come and steal uh, from you. We're in a place where we don't know the exact moment that Christ is going to return. So we want to be watching and we want it to be ready. Think this through with me. If Christ's coming at mid-tribulation, three and a half years through the tribulation, we know that Jesus can't come today. Because it's clear, we're not in the tribulation you read the scripture, the events of the tribulation are global and they're massive and they can't be misunderstood. So we're not in a place where we believe that Christ could come today. If we believe in a tribulation view that says, well, the tribulation is going to happen first, then the rapture of the church is going to happen. Well, Christ absolutely can't come today. The only position that points to the imminent return of Christ where we really believe that Christ could come today is a pre-tribulation rapture view, in my opinion. Why this matters is it does affect the way we live our lives. 
Women's retreat's coming up, ladies, in September. My wife always enjoys going on the women's retreat when she's able to, and we're blessed to be able to do it again this year, Lord willing. It's in Buena Vista, a beautiful spot. And I always ask Amber, when she's coming back, when you're in Buena Vista, text me and let me know that you're headed home. And the reason for that is, and I know this is hard to imagine, when she's gone, I don't run the house the same way, right? <laughs> So mom's gone, and it gets a little wild, gets a little messy, gets a little crazy at the house. So I tell the kids, we got two hours. <laughs> mom's going to be back in two hours. Let's get everything cleaned up and pretend like we had our act together all weekend. <laughs> right? But if I didn't know when she was coming back, I'd have to do things differently, right? If we really believed that Jesus could come back today, how would that then cause us to live our lives? Some people would say, well, I would just rack up a whole bunch of debt. I don't think so. If we really believed that Jesus was coming back today, we would want to be a good steward of the finances that he has provided as well, not, not just be reckless. And Jesus speaks to this in the next few verses. He says, who then is faithful and a wise servant? whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Absolutely, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and an hour when he's not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's really clear what Christ's point is, is I want you to be prepared because I could come at any time, and I want you to be faithful at my coming. The last reason I want to share with you that I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture view is that we're not appointed to wrath. Next week in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In context of 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, it's talking about the rapture and the tribulation. The tribulation is described as the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus took God's wrath for us on the cross. He's the propitiation of our sins. He appeased the wrath of the Father for us. So why would we go through the tribulation if Jesus has already taken that wrath for us. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and you're saying, well, what if you're wrong, Eric? You're standing up in front of a whole lot of people saying you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture view. What if, what if you're wrong, and we all go through the tribulation, and the church, the body of Christ, is not prepared for the tribulation? I got news for you. You cannot prepare for the tribulation. You cannot big, dig deep enough bunkers. I know they don't believe this in Idaho, but if you read Tribulation, the book of Revelations, there is nothing that we could do to prepare to be able to get through that. You can't stock up enough food. You can't get enough water. All of those, those types of things. This is cataclysmic events that are coming from the very throne room of God. If we do go through the tribulation, this is what I know. God's gonna be faithful. God is going to be faithful to his people, and we don't have to be in that place of fear. 
now that I've gone into this, some of you, I've lost you. Some of you now have missed the point. You're in this, is it pre, is it mid, is it post? Okay, I'm pan, I, I don't really care, however it pans out. And what's the point? Jesus is coming. Jesus is returning. That's what we're to focus on and for us to be comforted this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, this is not comforting. The world, society, is rejecting Jesus, slapping Jesus in the face, spitting on Christ, not wanting anything to do with him, rejecting the scriptures. And there is going to come a moment when Christ is going to return and he's going to judge the world righteously, justly. And that's not a position that you want to find yourself in. And even more importantly, for all of eternity, for those that reject Christ and say, I don't want anything to do with Christ, they too will be resurrected, but not unto everlasting life, but unto everlasting contempt, unto hell. Eternity is very real. And you either know Christ as your Savior or you don't. It's said that the demons even believe in Christ, but they're not saved. Why? Because they believe in the existence of Christ. They know that Christ exists, but they have not surrendered themselves to Christ. In Romans 10, 9, it tells us to believe in our hearts and to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead. To confess that Jesus is Lord is to surrender to Christ, to believe that he died for my sins, that he rose again, invite him to be the Lord of my life, to take control of my life. It's not perfection, but it's meeting Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Is Christ real in your life? Has, has he saved you? This, this is more than just saying, I believe in the existence of Christ, but, but Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. I would hate for you to wait until it's too late. You've passed away. You're in eternity. You don't get to make that decision a second time. And God loves you. It's his love for you that he's pursuing your heart, that he sent his son to die upon the cross. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to give you an opportunity to be saved. I want to give you an opportunity to, to trust Christ and say, Jesus saved me. I believe you know if you've trusted Christ for salvation. If you know he's your personal Lord and Savior. But you also know in your heart, man, I haven't received Christ. This isn't about signing up for a church. This is about you raising your hand to Jesus. Jesus saved me. So for those online and also here in the sanctuary, if you'd like to receive Christ, commit yourself to Christ, invite him to be the Lord of your life. As we pray, I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand to him. So, so let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you're with us and that you save, that you stand and you knock upon the door of our hearts. And so Lord, would you reveal your love in a personal way for those that don't know you, that this would be the moment that they would trust you and receive you as their savior. If, you, if you'd like to trust Christ for salvation, would you raise your hand and would you leave it up and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. We'll just wait for a few moments. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I see your hands in the back. Praise the Lord, you in the very back as well. Praise God, awesome. 
Lord sees you at home as you're listening. Raise your hand to the Lord. Praise God. Awesome. His hands are raised. Praise the Lord. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin and ask you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me and thank you for forgiving me. You can put your hands down. Father, we thank you. You're so good. We thank you for those that have responded to the gospel. Would you fill them with your spirit? Would you confirm this decision that they've made in their hearts? May they know that they know that they're your children. And we rejoice and we're so thankful. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good.